0: And we're live. There we are. We're live. Hi, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the uh, Luke Thomas Live Chat Episode 8. It is Friday, the 22nd of November, 2019. Thank you guys so much for watching. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, all that good stuff. Um, Okay. So what are we going to do today? We're going to get to all of your questions. As always, I put a thread up in the community tab of this uh page on thursdays y'all fill it up i go to it and i'll i'll get to those those that get recommended will get priority those that don't i'll try to get to a little bit later i'll try to mix it up the best i can i go for about an hour and some change as is customary please give the video a thumbs up subscribe to the channel tell your friends tell your grandma the whole bit all right please do that i always appreciate that when you do uh and with that in mind let's get this going shall we All right. Happy Friday to everybody. Hope you're doing well. I know I am. The, uh, the plate on my tower is loose, so you might hear a little rattling. I'm not sure if you can hear that or not. I got to fix it. Uh, I got my post-workout shake. I went to the gym this morning. Nothing too serious on a Friday. I tend to keep my Fridays light. I also don't have shakes normally all the time. I just got one today because I felt like it. It's only got 160 calories, so it's not too bad. 25 grams of protein. You don't need them. They're not necessary. If you like them, drink them, count the calories, all that stuff, your macros. Um, Like I said, every once in a while, I'll get one just if I want to add it in. If I, you know, had a good training day or, I don't know, if I can afford the calories, something like that. So, here we are. Mmm, banana cream. Pretty good. Hope you guys are doing well. Appreciate everybody who watched uh, last time. Uh, last week's numbers were great. I was really, really happy with that. And, um, yeah, I guess a lot of it came from non-MMA topics, but what are you going to do? So real quickly, before we get today's chat going, I am going to get to your questions, but, uh, I saw yesterday on Instagram that, uh, Floyd Mayweather put out a post saying he was unretiring in 2020. That's followed on the heels of a sit down, so to speak, uh, I guess, at a Celtics game. I'm not sure the Celtics were playing. I think it's Celtics Clippers. And so it was like it was like Dana White, his son, and then Floyd all sitting together, Floyd Mayweather. And everyone's like, oh, what does this mean? Uh, probably or could mean something for Zufa Boxing. Remember, they were supposed to have an announcement in October. We didn't hear one. November's almost done, and we haven't heard one. My, my hunch is they're probably going to punt until 2020 and maybe do something with Floyd. If they do something with Floyd, it could be some kind of ambassador role. I don't know. Maybe he'll have guys under Mayweather Promotions fight. Seems possible he could fight some UFC fighter uh, in boxing for a bunch of money. That seems unlikely, but maybe, maybe. Um, But it's just so funny to me. It's like the dude has trolled MMA fans uh, for years. He competed against its biggest star, and they just, not just fans, media too, everybody. They don't seem to understand the guy. Here's what he does. He trolls the media because he realizes he can just say, the dumbest shit, and they'll repeat it, or they'll speculate on what the, you know, um, what it all could mean. And he'll toy with everybody, and then do something that is clearly in his, not merely his interest, but like, if it's a competition, something he's virtually guaranteed to win. I mean, the funny part about Mayweather McGregor, you heard Brian Campbell say he had heard from multiple sources inside the Mayweather camp that Floyd had done virtually no training for the fight with him. Moreover, it's like, Even if you want to not believe that, did you not see how he looked? Like, that was the worst Mayweather had ever looked in terms of his physicality. He had, like, no legs relative to how he normally competes. Like, he just looked terrible. You know, and he's 42. Like, what do you expect him to look like? He's been boxing for, you know, 30-plus years. So how good could he look? It's just like, you all think he's going to go fight UFC? I mean, did you learn nothing about the guy? He loves to endlessly troll, over-promise, and then under-deliver and make a bunch of money the whole way through. That's what he does, man. And, like, if he doesn't do anything like that, it's because he's lost his mind. So, yeah, is it possible he's lost his mind? And then we can go back and say, uh, oh, Luke, dude, you didn't call it. You said he was going to do nothing. Okay, if he does something other than that, it's because he has, he's gone crazy. Because this is what he has done for the last, I mean, for not, not really for almost his entire career, but certainly last 15 years, you know, since I've been covering MMA, this is more or less what he's been doing. Um, you know, including the De La Hoya fight in two thousand seven. You know, it's just like, I, you know, what is it going to take for people to realize he loves to troll the media with ridiculous claims because people will just repeat it. They'll just repeat. They'll literally just repeat. You had Tito this week being like, "Oh yeah, there's a fight with Cain Velasquez possible in Combate." No, the fuck, there isn't. It, it, okay, possible in the sense that yeah, it's possible I could fight Cain Velasquez in uh, Combate. That's a real possibility, right? It could actually happen right? You looking for that? Anybody looking for that fight? Right? They do, People just say random, ridiculous shit, and the media goes, just fucking stenography. And he knows that. He knows that. And so he just uses it to a T. So this whole, like, what would it be like if Mayweather fought in a fucking boxing ring or a, a cage and blah, 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 blah. He'll, whatever the answer to any of those questions is, is he'll only do it if he's got a virtually guaranteed shot of winning. And that's what you're going to get hyped up for? Right? That's what you're going to lather yourself up for and take your pants off and treat the bottom part of your body like an amusement park for? Really? He's got y'all, by, I mean, he's got MMA fans and media by the balls. By the balls. It is, <laughs> it's like comical to watch, man. It's like, did you learn nothing watching this guy? He did a media tour. Did you learn nothing? Come on. Come on, man. Come on. I don't know what he's going to do. Here's what I know. It'll probably suck for you and me. That, that's my guess. It'll probably make big money for him. Uh, he'll use his celebrity, and it'll suck for you and me. So, you want to get hyped up for that, you are welcome to it. I'd rather die. I mean, I'll worry about his announcement when he makes it, right? I'll worry about that shit when it happens, and we can then discuss what the potential impact of all that is, all right? For now... Can we stop? (laughs) Can we stop with this shit, please? All right. Let's get to these questions that you donks put together in the community tab. If you got any more questions about Mayweather, I'll get to them. But um, if they're not ridiculous. All right. Let's do this. Let's rock out with these questions. First one. Luke, uh, how diminished do you foresee Jose Aldo's chin being at 135? Specifically, how will he be able to handle Mauritius' power? Good question. Also, do you anticipate Jose having issues making weight as he has in the past? Well, it's hard to say exactly. I mean, I was there when he fought Mark Hominick, and you know, there was like horror stories about how hard it was for him to make weight. And then in general, everyone knows some of the struggles he has at 145. Maybe he knows something we don't about 135. It's like all these guys who like really deplete themselves. It's the same thing with TJ. It's like TJ was a very skilled fighter. He was taking PEDs. And it did him fuck all good. It did him no good because I think he was so drained, and you had a natural flyweight, or let's say a much more natural flyweight in Henry Cejudo, who had uh, speed for that division, power for that division, uh, explosion for that division, and he just banged TJ upside the head, and that was all she wrote. Like he couldn't really, he couldn't deal with the punishment. I think I, I, I know this is a hunch. I don't know this for a fact, but seems to me that the tape says pretty unequivocally that the, the damage he was taking was, uh, having an effect in part from the diminished weight cut. It was a, it was a nice shot and it was like, it was a clean shot. It would have hurt him probably no matter what, but it's just hard to separate out the idea that it was strictly a function of, um, you know, just the punch itself. Like this wouldn't, it would have been the exact same 10 pounds more. I just don't buy it. So how do I foresee Jose Aldo's chin? Now, I don't think Jose Aldo's chin is gone. It is not what it once was. I think that's a fair point. Um, so, I think it will be diminished. I don't think it'll be diminished in a kind of, um, you know, uh, critical Jonathan Goulet type where you hit him once and that's all she wrote. I don't think it's that quite kind of thing. Although, again, you never know. I think it'll be. I think it'll be fine for a little while. But you know, if he ever gets into any kind of, you know, like He'll counter fight with Maraish, right? That's what he'll do. He'll wait on Maraish and try to counter. Um, that's a decent style to fight Maraish because Maraish likes to counter too. So that could either have an effect where they both reduce their volume or he's able to goad Maraish into that kind of a fight. But Mirage can fight going forward as well. So it just seems to me like that will that will certainly... I'll say this. I think it'll play a role. I think it'll play a role. And uh, I don't like his chances. Um That's not an official prediction because MMA is too crazy to really predict like that. But yeah, I don't really like it. I don't really like it. Uh, How do also how do you anticipate Jose having issues making weight? Yeah, we went over that part in the past. Yeah. Um, Also, there's a question of like how his speed translates because he's really fast and explosive for 145. There's a question of um, you know uh, it's a three round fight, I believe. So that's that saves him a little bit. That doesn't hurt him as much. Uh, but nevertheless, will he fade in the third, right? Trying to go down the way he does if he doesn't get stopped early because Moraes is explosive, powerful, quick, you know, natural at that weight. I don't know, man. I guess we'll see. Um, But going down like that, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I mean, it makes for for an interesting thought experiment, but, like, if you're a fan of Aldo, is, you know... Again, if Aldo was best at 135, he probably would have been fighting there already, right? Uh, if Edgar was best at 135, he probably would have been, or at least, you know, yeah, if he was best at 135, he probably would have been fighting there already. It's just he was doing so well at 155, he didn't need to. Still think he beat Benson, by the way. Um, and then he went to 145, he got multiple t- uh, title opportunities. Okay, it wasn't enough. But it, that wasn't the best Frankie Edgar. And also it was like subsequent all those miles. Now you're adding in all the miles from lightweight, all the miles from featherweight. He's going on to bantamweight against a guy who's got virtually no miles in Corey Sandhagen and has a super, super duper modern game. That's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. All right, what do you think about the schmoes call out? Jesus. To Ariel Helwani for a grappling match for charity. Do you think the nose will take the bait? If so, would you break it down for us, donks? I mean, seriously, y'all, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but who gives a fuck? I mean, seriously, who gives a fuck, right? I mean, if y'all want to, sure. Okay, how about this? Let me walk that back. I don't give a fuck. I don't even give the slightest of fucks about it, okay? So if you want to spend your time worrying about that, And you're probably just trying to bait me into talking about people that, you know, I don't really want to talk about. Um, You know, you can do that, but, (laughs) I mean, who gives a fuck, honestly? Uh, Would you please rank UFC 245's three title fights based on your level of achievement? Oh, excuse me, based on your level of excitement. What am I saying? Also, which of the three are you most uncertain of the probable outcome? Ooh, good question. All right least excited about Ger- uh, Jermaine Durandamy versus Amanda Nunez. If the fight stayed on the feet, I would be I would be very interested. But they already fought once at Fight for the Troops and Amanda kind of stood with her a little bit and then took her down. And then when she took her down it was like, you know, textbook, right? Do I think she can do that again? I do. I do. I really I mean, yeah, yeah, I do. So um, one never knows, but from the outside looking in, I would say at this point I'm the least interested in that one. It becomes tougher to figure out the second of the two because my hunch is um, I think Volkanovski is the toughest challenge that Holloway has had to date. The two Aldo fights were tough, but he stopped him both times. Oh, and I say toughest, I mean at 145 because obviously he fought Poirier and lost, but that was was up a weight class. Um, Ortega had his moments here or there. Edgar had his moments here or there, I suppose. Um, But no one has really been, in my judgment, a real difficult challenge for him where he would be like up, around, down, around, up, around, down, around, heading into the fifth. I think Volkanovski poses that challenge. He's got an unyielding gas tank. And folks just... It was funny, you know, coming off that Aldo fight where Volkanovski won, it was a little ho-hum. It was like, wow, he really... That was a great achievement by him. But, you know, oh, well. Because he didn't knock Aldo down... Um, he didn't like take his back, you know. It was just kind of like a he just he just cleverly outstruck him. It reminds me, it had less of the sizzle, but it reminds me of some of the takes following Adesanya's win over Silva. And I remember people being like, "Oh, Adesanya overrated." And I thought to myself, that just can't possibly be true because the vast majority of the time, I can look at an MMA fight and at least off first or second glance. I can more or less understand what is happening, at, at, you know, at, at a reasonable level—not this super specific intricacies—but I can, I can get a general read. With that fight, with what Adesanya was doing, it took it took seven, eight, nine, 10, 15 different times going over the take, taking copious notes, and then trying to find what the patterns were and everything, because it was so disguised. No, it was not super lethal. Everything that he threw, and that we often judge it by like. It's, it's, it's lethality, and that's a reasonable thing to judge something on. It's just not the only thing to judge something on. I talked about that with um, Magomed Sharapov, like those spinning back kicks he throws and running off the cage. There's really no lethality to those strikes. They, they don't drop anybody. He often misses with them or they're blocked. The, 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 the value in him is the uncertainty that he creates, backing people up positionally, that kind of a thing, but he didn't. He didn't really hurt hardly anybody with him. He landed that one spinning back fist on Calvin Cater Didn't do anything to him. So, so, you know, people are like, "Oh, Adesanya didn't put Silva away." Well, so what? The level of camouflage he put over his game was so intricate that uh, I don't think Silva knew what to deal with it. It, you know, and I'm certainly no expert, but it took me forever to try to figure out what he was doing. The same thing as the read I got on Volkanovski. Go back and watch that Volkanovski fight with with Aldo. He had Aldo flummoxed, man. Aldo, yeah, He did he knock him down super hard? Did he uppercut him fucking Hadouken? No, he did none of those things. But the level of disguise he put on it was super intricate. That was a big-time red flag for me for Max Holloway. Big-time red flag. Now, Max... As we talked about before, is truly ambidextrous, can fight southpaw, can fight conventional, can circle either direction, um, and not really can circle or go other ways. His game doesn't drop off depending on the stance that he's in. It's not, it's not a function of trying to do something else where you see like a lot of guys will switch stance as a mechanism of closing distance, for example, but they don't really want to stay in their alternate stance. They're kind of, they're kind of you know, I'm, I'm left-handed. They want to stay in that left-handed stance or something. Uh, he, can do, he can do either he can do either. And so as a consequence, um, that creates problems for everybody. He is ambidextrous and I've said his game before, his striking game is modular. You can just build it into a bunch of different directions uh, in a bunch of different ways, depending on what the what, what the need is. So I'm very intrigued by that, but I would be lying to you if I thought I was more interested in what the outcome might be of Colby versus Usman. So here's what I'll say. I expect that the Volkanovski and Holloway fight will be much more interesting in terms of just the fight itself, but the consequences of the win at in the main event between Colby and Usman, and also what kind of numbers that event pulls, and uh, what kinds of things are said, and how that fight ends up being reviewed. And I, I'm telling you, man, Colby has a very good chance of winning, and if he does it will be for many people who have long considered him to be not very popular, which is not true, or not very good, which is definitely not true. It is going to be a day of reckoning for them. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, he came, he came to that Chicago presser with the nerd tears on his thing, and everyone's like, that's so hacky. Well, if he beats Kamar Usman and he becomes the undisputed champion, he might be able to actually fill that up with the tears of his critics and detractors because they are going to have a very hard time accepting the fact that he won and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he just might do it. He has to define the fight on his terms by controlling the wrestling, being proactive, not trying to do anything other than to, to wear out Kamaru positionally. And then when he's on the feet, he has to really let his hands go and just stay all over him. This is the way he wins, not through ground and pound, but by boxing distance, right? We've, we've been over this a million times. And I don't know that he will, but I take his chances seriously and if he does, it will be it will be to to borrow from his namesake, it will be chaos. It will be chaos because that guy, uh, even Dan Lambert said this week, his shtick really only works if he's winning. Well, you'd you'd be easy. It'd be easy to forget about him if he was like not very good. All the barbs on social media, you could just ignore. Well, what if he's the champion of the fucking weight class? And who's gonna beat him? If Kamaru can't beat him, Leon Edwards is gonna beat him. Tyron is gonna beat him. I don't think so. He, like I'm not saying he's going to go on some GSP like reign, but let's say he, let's pause it for just a moment that he beats Kamaru Usman. If he beats Kamaru Usman, he might hold that belt for a subsequent two or three title defenses, right? Um, that would make people very. That would make a lot of people very upset, which is exactly what he's tried to do. Which would be exactly the fulfillment of what he said he would do, which is things I've been warning people about. Um, so we'll see maybe usman wins but to me i have a little bit more intrigue about the after effect of that one while i think the volkanovsky holloway fight will be better uh, okay why are people even considering nick diaz versus masvidal nick hasn't won a fight in over eight years now and he'd potentially get a title eliminator bout You put, you put bought the real money fight is if colby wins he takes on masvidal in a true grudge match for the belt i agree about the latter You know, Jordan Breen wrote a piece, (coughs) excuse me about this. It's the same thing with Kimbo Slice. Passions for these guys die hard, man. They die really, really hard. Nick Diaz has a true cult of personality around him um, because of the way he's been, because of the way he's fought, because of who he is, because of what he stands for, because of legitimately how he's been wronged, right? And uh, his brother is a a similar kind of situation. Uh, not, Not the same extent, but similar. And uh, just, the, just the prospect of him coming back. And you know, you saw some things that Nate did. You're like, eh, it was okay. I did the whole thing on, um, dissected about it. Uh, you would imagine that Nick could do many of them and then some of them a little bit better. Tighter mechanics, uh, uh, as I mentioned, much more of a pocket boxer defensively and offensively. Um, he's got some decent wrestling defense as well. A little bit more proactive, I think, because of his tighter mechanics, he lands more. In any event... Um, yeah, but people are hanging on to that vision. But to your point, yeah, he hasn't fought in forever. Like, you know, when I was looking back at his wins, I was like, what year was the BJ Penn fight? You know, what year was the Condit fight? You know, 2013, 2014. This is a long time ago, dude. But 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 these guys, there. When you get when someone attaches to you like that, man, they don't just let go. I mean, the pa- the passion for it has to be slowly extinguished, slowly. Like if Saint Pierre wanted to come back, he he could come back and fight at the top of the division and you know would that be meritocratic I mean I suppose you could concoct some kind of argument for that but not really but dude it's the amount of passion people have for him and Kimbo Slice at the same time same way people like why does Kimbo keep being the headlining on these cards dude because people love Kimbo you know he's passed now but he was Bellator he still is Bellator's most popular fighter ever I mean think about that who's the most popular fighter in Bellator history it is Kimbo Slice It is Kimbo Slice, long after YouTube, long after going into Gary Gary Shaw's boxing, long after Elite XC, long after The Ultimate Fighter, the most popular fighter in the history of Bellator is Kimbo Slice. Because, dude, these passions for some of these guys who develop these real grassroots, fervent fan bases, man, Um, they die hard, bro. They die super, super hard. Just people hang on like that. All right. Oh, this was a fun one. Uh, is it really you or your wife? I love this. It's making you say all these SJW, we shouldn't normalize this, wines on the air. Um, this is fu- It's a funny question to me. It's like, God, I don't even know where to start with something like this. Um, so they're talking about, in reference to the last morning combat I was talking about, I mean, there's this thing where like everyone wants to, it's been normalized to the point now where it's like everybody's saying it. But it's like, oh, uh, what are my three favorite foods? Uh, donuts, fried chicken, and Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> it's like cornball trolling nonsense that losers do. In any event, um, it, it, it's—I'm it, it, not exactly sure what the origins are, but you can imagine it had—it's it, had—it's—it's—it's it's, again—it's now spread to everybody. But a lot of these sort of uh, it's it's got it's got it's a kissing cousin of the like Clinton body count memes from the fever swamps of Reddit and other places where you know I don't really feel like paying attention to that shit and I'll tell you why in large part because you know I live in the city where there was this I mean truly truly dumb ass conspiracy theory about a fucking pizza place called uh, com- um, <laughs> God now I've forgotten the name. Uh, Comet Ping Pong, wherever the fuck it's uh, it's on Northwest. Been there like I've been there in a long time, but I went there years ago. Just a family business that got tied up in again the fever swamps of super far right wing, ridiculous uh, internet forums and um, you know these guys playing YouTube detective. I mean, just I mean pathetic is really what it is. And then someone rolls up in there with a fucking gun, man. Now again gladly he went to jail because this is what happens when you let idiocy actually try to affect your life. But beyond that, um, this one I don't think is quite as sinister, but I just don't have tolerance for it at all. I don't don't think it's cute. I don't think it's funny. And what's interesting about it, it's like it's actually got nothing to do with what is... Like Social Justice Warriors, uh, two problems I have with it. One, people overuse the term because it actually doesn't even apply in this particular case. And secondly... Um, it is true that there are people on the left, in particular far left, who whine about every perceived moral shortcoming or infraction that is related to the most granular detail of how gender or race or whatever affects our lives to the point where you're really going after innocuous things and innocuous people in the most hectoring, awful of ways. This is really true. I, I certainly, who could deny such a thing? But... Most people overuse the term. And secondly, the kind of people who obsess about this shit. You know, I'm really, I want want to tweet about SJWs all day. I mean, these are fairly low-level thinkers, right? Like when you see somebody who constantly is talking about them, um, these are people who are not really, it's not to say that's not a problem, but if you're really engaged with the, the... if you're really engaged with the ideas that move the world and the things that matter the most, you wouldn't spend a whole lot of time worrying about that. I saw this thing on the internet yesterday from PragerU, which is from Dennis Prager, who is a, a another world-class moron. And um, he was just some, some, two guys, I don't know, one black guy, one white guy. And they, they one guy was dressed up in Native American garb, and the other guy, the black guy, was dressed up like a, I think like a pilgrim. And they were going on college campuses, intentionally trolling people to be provocative in an attempt to you know draw out a reaction and naturally they got one to me man I used to see people like this on college campuses all the time before the YouTube generation but there's always been weirdos who like you know from uh, from any cause you can imagine who would try to like do stuff like that you know anti-abortion people holding up like you know you know murdered fetuses pictures and shit I'm like bro I gotta get to class I'm late just move out of the way like do what you want you know uh, I never bother with it but of course they got a reaction from it, and then they film it and they're like this is a thing. It's like, dude, I mean, there's a direct correlation between this is a fact, this is a verifiable fact, and y'all can get mad at it, but it's reality. Um, you can Google it right now. In fact, I'll, I'll share an article with it with you guys, uh, well, any number of papers on it. Uh, the share of the GOP population that no longer has a post-secondary education has risen over the last, I think, 20 years and continues to go up over every single electoral cycle, which is why this group sort of gets off on people sticking it to college kids, they like this sort of this sort of um, provocation, this uh, going after uh, you know. Even if you go to college, a lot of class in American society is hereditary, and so it's like going after sort of managerial professional class, right? Uh, even though it's not really a fair characterization of who goes to college these days. The, the point being is, it's like these weird provocations from weird people who. Who, um, they just don't. I mean, (laughs) I just don't have a lot of tolerance for the bullshit. To be honest with you, man, like if you all want to engage in, you know, conspiracy theories, that's cool. Just don't bring that shit around me. Uh, Don't bring it around my town. Don't bring it around. Don't bring it around my circle. Don't bring it to me at MMA events. Like you go live in your little alternate universe. And then if you really want to roll up at a pizza joint. With uh, you know, an AR-15, you'll see what happens to you when you know when your entire illusory existence is shattered in front of your stupid face. Yeah, you know, you're allowed to do that. Last thing I'd say is you know the the, con- the construction of the sentence here by this low-level primate who wrote the question. Um, is it really you or your wife? I mean, can you imagine putting some of that into a question? It's like, dude, could you tell on yourself more? <laughs> about your view of women, you, to, in order to hate women as 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 much as this person clearly does to write a question like this, unless it's just abject trolling, if it's, if it's anything other than just, just, you know, I'm going to have fun with the troll, then what this question represents is somebody, I mean, no one writes a question like this who has ever made a woman come, ever, right? <clears throat> it's somebody who can't. It's somebody who has been rejected. It's somebody who has been pushed back and this is their way to push back onto them, right? This is somebody who has, you know, struggled to please them and then found their rejection difficult to handle. This is from some incel on H Chan, you know, in between masturbatory sessions, came on here and wrote this question. So uh, from the demographic writing the question to the demographic that finds these kinds of questions amusing to the construction of the question itself, to the nature of my tolerance for bullshit, yeah and not even getting the terms right, right? It's not, it's not, concern about, I mean, yes, there's a normalization as a term that is shared across what I said and what often social justice warriors do. Uh, Again, this bizarre preoccupation with them. It's like, I don't quite get it, but, uh, but the normalization is not out of like some social justice concern. It's like literally out of a community safety concern where I live. And then secondly, um, just as a like, can, can can we not honor stupid ideas? Can we not give oxygen to really dumb ideas? And like, last thing on this, you know what happened to Jeffrey Epstein? Obviously, his situation in his cell is kind of weird, but the SDNY. If did you guys read the lengthy paper that they put out? Now again, you're gonna say, oh, of course they're gonna say this. All right, I mean, if you wanna if you wanna endlessly deny the legitimacy of American institutions to the nth degree, you are certainly allowed to do that. However. Uh, I would encourage you to read this unusually lengthy paper that they put out, explaining exactly what had happened and the malfe not mal- less the malfeasance, but the negligence that went into um, that guy's situation. First of all, if he was murdered, who cares? I mean, do you really care if he was murdered? Because I don't. Number one, number two, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's part of the Clinton body count. It's like you're mad at Hillary Clinton for murdering a pedophile. I mean. You know, better that than Vince Foster, I guess. Uh, you know, another thing I don't quite get oh, it's to cover up Bill Clinton's crimes. Come on, y'all. Can y'all please stop can y'all please stop treading treading water in the fever swamps of internet forums and please engage with the real world with real ideas and real problems and real people. Can you please do that? And stop worrying about what fucking college kids are doing? It's actually not all that important, will you? All right? Thank you. Love you. Uh, Luke, you've made it sound like you're just an everyman who worked very hard to figure out video editing. That is exactly what it is. And how to have success on YouTube. Most tutorials about things like SEO and how to get more subscribers tend to be clickbait and rather useless. Would you be willing to do a video in the future about things like this? Uh, I think it would be refreshing and highly useful considering your background. If you don't feel comfortable, can you recommend a good source that really helped you out? Number one, go look at what people with successful channels are doing and then copy it. Uh, I don't mean like, you know, steal, but I mean take inspiration from and take lessons from how they do it. You know, and by the way, there's like MMA channels that do better than me. Um, MMA On Point does much better than me. They've, they've, they're they killing it, but they have a real structured way about how they put out their content out there. They do a lot of lists like top 10 moments in Strike Force history or top five fighters to beef with Dana White. Um, they put together a good, informative, comprehensive video. They, they struck, they, all their, not all, a lot of their content is evergreen, so you know it, it. Like for example, like what's happening this week? There's no world fights. They'll put out something, and I'm about to make something up. You know, uh, top ten Chael Sonnen insults. I mean, that's something you can go back to and back to and back to. Or top five McGregor insults. There's things that just live on the internet because if you look at most of my YouTube traffic numbers, and this is true of most people. When you post the video, it spikes and then it drops, and then occasionally it might find life later on, but usually that's it. Its life cycle is up, down, over. Uh, that's how it goes. Again, I did a Brian Ortega video. I put it out for UFC 214, 214 media day about the two switches or two gears in jiu-jitsu And at the time, it did like four thousand views. And then I noticed one month I had like a high, uh, unusually high pay rate. And I was like, "Where did that come from?" And I was looking up the revenue, and that video exploded. I mean, I think it's up to like one hundred twenty or more hundred and twenty thousand views or more. Um, Things like that can happen, but that's pretty rare. But those guys are smart because they structure their content in a way where, like, all their content is like that. The downside for that is it's really labor-intensive to put those kinds of videos together. They do a great job of it, but that's the downside. So, um, so you know, you can go look at what they're doing. You can try to copy some of their lessons. SEO is kind of simple. Titling matters. Tagging matters. The first seven words in your description box often matter. But there are a lot of people who break these rules, and they do really well. I think if there's any kind of lessons about this, and by the way, yes, I had to teach myself SEO. I had to teach myself video editing. I had to teach myself streaming, all this stuff, which is why I'm, like, just kind of mediocre at all of it. Um, it's because I never really had a professional uh, hand to show me what's what. But um, but the long story short is, you, first of all, there's nothing like reps. Just get out there and practice. And then secondly, look at what the best one. Look at Chael. Chael's got. I think I checked it the other day. Chael's got like over four hundred thousand subs. Number one, he puts out a lot of content. It's all high quality, and by that I mean the sound is good, the microphone is, or the, um, the the the, the, the um, cameras good, the lighting is good. And then beyond that, he's got interesting takes from a world of mixed martial arts, and you know his own style of delivery that people really respond to. So like, it's a really successful channel, and he's always pumping out content, right? It's kind of things like that. I wish I could do more content. I just don't have the, all the time, but. Um, and I, I I wish I had like a person who I could just you know sit down and we could just fire out videos, but uh, it's just not the way. And I also have to do fifteen hours of radio, so I just I don't have the time in the world to put it to into it, put it put to a lot to put into it. But um but yeah, uh, whatever. Make a video about it maybe. But if you don't like the clickbaity part of it, just take some of the lessons about finding things that are high value, presenting it in a way that looks polished, practice, and then tailor it. Yeah, there's lots of things I could do that would be. You know, whatever. And you have to get your thumbnails right, and you got to make end screens right, and you got to get your cards right. Uh, You got to get everything right. But um, practice, like anything else, practice. Hi, Luke. If Anthony Rumble Johnson enters the heavyweight division next year, how do you see his chances on becoming the champion here? There. Not very good. Been off for a long time. Um, Probably can beat some good guys, right? Because heavyweight's kind of heavyweight, but. I don't know if he's going to beat anybody uh, truly elite. Also, we don't really know exactly how fast or slow he looks at heavyweight. I want to see that, too. All right, kind of another issue there. That was always a weird thing is, like, he's going to get into bodybuilding, and then, like, time passed, and you're like, I haven't heard about him getting into any shows. Also, part of bodybuilding is not just bulking up. It's shredding down. In fact, that might be even the hardest part of bodybuilding. And then I didn't, you know, nothing ever came of it. And then you saw him, he was he was super swole, but... He wasn't. He wasn't cut up like you need to be for bodybuilding. And then I think he was just like, "Yeah, fuck this." Um, all right, rate these top five metal bands. Oh Jesus. Lincoln Park, Disturbed, Limp Biscuit, POD, Corn. These are all. Are these metal bands? These are new metal bands. Pfft. All right, I'll go uh, number one. Okay, with the caveat that all of them are diarrhea. Number one, I'll go Disturbed, because they have some musicianship. Two, I'll go... Fuck. (laughs) Two, I'll go P.O.D., because Southtown is a song from college that, at the time, I thought was not too bad. I'll go... um... Limp Biscuit, because they had one song that was produced by DJ Premier, then Korn, then Linkin Park. And I know a lot of you are like, oh, Linkin Park would be one. I was never a Linkin Park guy. Didn't hate him. Didn't hate him, but I was never a Linkin Park guy. They just didn't do it for me. Although Mike Shinoda has done some work with uh, Self-Titled, who's a rapper that I like. But uh, no, I just, they just it didn't move me. But I recognize that of all those bands... I don't know how big corn is anymore, but I know Lincoln Park's been pretty big for a pretty long time. All right. Was Ali Abdelaziz mad at you after that in-studio interview you did with him on the MMA Hour? Was he aware beforehand that you were going to ask such a potentially defamatory question? Defamatory? Well, there's nothing defamatory about it. I don't think you know what the word defame means, number one. Number two, um No. No, uh, we had one conversation after it. It was pleasant. I don't think he loved it. Uh, I don't think it was his favorite time of the the year. I don't think he'll look back on it as, you know, top 10 moments that he had. But no, no, we haven't talked a whole. I, I think we talked one, literally one time since then. I've not spoken to him uh, other than that one time. But um, I didn't know. I don't know. He had no. I don't tell people the questions I ask ahead of time. No chance. He might have had an inkling I was going to do that, but I didn't. I don't tell people that kind of shit. Other people might. I don't do that. Uh, what direction do you think MMA media is going? What will it look like in 10 years? Boy, that is such a great question. Mm. Um, the answer to that is they're going to go exactly the way that the rest of the media does. By that, I mean the following. One of the criticisms that I often make of MMA media... Is that, um, you know, they don't really hold power to account. Or, um, you know, Tito says he's going to fight Kane. Hey, everybody, Tito says he's going to. I mean, there's like zero truth value to any of this bullshit. And uh, they'll just, you know, they'll be stenographers for him. And uh, they're utterly deferential to the power brokers like USADA and other players as well. And this goes on and on and on and on. But the reality is, you can get mad at the individual journalists. But the reality is, and, and some of them have you know, real failings, the more senior ones, myself included. But the truth of the whole story is those are the jobs that they got hired to do, right? It's not like they're sitting there in defiance of their editors. These are the jobs they are tasked with. They are tasked with, if a fighter says something, even if it's bereft of truth value, print it, if it's crazy. Um... If uh, Dana White says something and it's utterly bereft of truth value, print it. Uh, don't piss off managers enough that you lose access to everybody. And again, they'll make exceptions here or there, but all of these, all of these sites, for example, not all of them, most of them, uh, especially the bigger ones, they're all predicated on access. I mean, what would they do if they had no access? Yeah, they would continue, but it, they would, they would be fundamentally different operations. Um, again, I have found three outlets, this one and uh, SiriusXM and Showtime, where I have huge latitude in the things that I can talk about. And that's not an accident. I designed it that way. Um, but a lot of people don't, and a lot of people aren't that lucky, and there's not many jobs like that. So the answer is, to the extent that the platforms they are on, in an effort to monetize um, and you know, be adherent to the demands of the business model that they're in, um, there might be some more subscription-based stuff, which could change the game a little bit beyond what the, just the athletic has done. But a lot of it is advertising-based, and in so doing and being advertising-based, um, that's going to make them requisite to, for access and then high-content production. And so uh, let's see what, where the platforms go. And the other part is platforms have become king which is to say the following. Now I don't know exactly what the future of Facebook is. It's still the biggest social media um, work in worldwide. So I don't know that its demise is inevitable. Plus, they already own Instagram, so we'll see how things go. But the point being is, when I got started, you could put together a, you know, a blog in the middle of nowhere and Google would honor your work, often to a strong degree, in search. But that version of the web is dead. The blogging web is dead. And so now you have to be on big platforms. You have to, and by the way, when I was first running Bloody Elbow, you could do what's called fan posts. You can do them to a slight extent now, but not exactly the same. And you could, we, we, we would discover a lot of our talent that we would hire from there. Um, a lot of that functionality has been taken away. Not totally, but a lot of it. The real big places to win is you have to win on platforms that win on search. It's why YouTube, people are like, oh, YouTube is a place for independent creators. For now, for now it is. Um, because people like me can go outside of their typical work boundaries and I can go on here and say what I want. But the reality is I am making YouTube as the dominant platform that now not only people like me have to go to, but everyone else who wants to compete with me and then do their own thing. They can't, like you, if, you, if you said, I'm never going to go on YouTube, I'm just going to go on Vimeo, you are dramatically cutting down your ability to be discovered. The platforms um, are huge. I don't like being on Twitter. I think it's kind of toxic, but it's where everybody is. And so you kind of have to be there. The question is not will platforms stop being dominant going forward, but the question is which ones are being dominant. And then the question will be who can be dominant on those dominant platforms. Um, that's the answer. The answer is that the, the jobs are what the jobs are. You can negotiate for individual things when you get them, but um, you know, getting mad at some of these lower level guys who don't have any seniority, who don't have a little bit of latitude to play with the rules. It just doesn't make a whole lot. I mean, I do it sometimes just out of frustration, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they don't have any say, man. They don't have any say. That is what the job is. So either you take that job or you go somewhere else. But if you want to go somewhere else, what are you going to do? But that's why guys, and uh, or, or I should say creators like MMA On Point and Mixed Molly Whoppery and many others, I, I said this before, I think there's a thirst for alternative media because everybody can look at what's happening in MMA media and they can be like, why is everyone so obsequious and just printing bullshit because that's the job. That's the business. But the ones who aren't involved in that process, who can go outside of that, who can do, in the case of MMA on Point, they do many things, but as I mentioned, they do evergreen content well, for example. Or in the case of Mix Molly Whoppery, everyone's got instant takes all the time. He takes a step back and then says, let me synthesize a series of facts and events together to draw out a larger narrative. There is a thirst for that kind of thing. So there will always be opportunities for disruption and things like that. But the way the internet is, like the internet's not as cool as it used to be. Um, Platforms are dominant and business models dictate jobs. And so let's just see how the business model changes. And let's see which platforms are winning and then who wins on those platforms. There's your answer. Why the F... I've said fuck a million times today. Why the F would Frank Yeager move down to bantamweight to limit the size disadvantage and then take on a 5'11 guy in his first go? Well, he was supposed to take on Aljamain Sterling, and then that didn't go his way. Now, I'm not saying that would have been some walk in the park, but it wouldn't have had the 5'11 factor, I think you're referring to, although Aljamain's not that small. But, uh, yeah, I, had, I spoke to Corey Sandhagen about it. He was like, I'm all in on this, bro. I mean, I, this is an interesting one for me. What is the one stat that... Pops out to you about Corey Sandhagen's takedown defense. Oh, I gave it away. Fuck. Uh, Let me pull up his numbers here. I was looking at this. Now, part of this is a little bit misleading, which is to say a lot of times Corey will go to the ground willingly, that they'll count as a takedown, but he's doing it in a way because he wants to attack from that position. Like, he's just accommodating where the fight goes. But uh, strikes landed per minute for Corey Sandhagen, 7.14. It's extremely high. Striking accuracy, about half. That's common. Striking Strikes uh, absorbed per minute, 4.16. That is also high. Obviously, the good news is he has a big differential between landed and absorbed. Many fighters that you like actually have a negative differential. He's got a high positive differential, but still, that's a high number. Uh, striking defense, just shy of 60%. That's pretty good. Takedown average, 1.24. It's fine. Uh, takedown accuracy, 50%, whatever. Takedown defense, this is what stands out, 27%. Striking for striking, I think Frankie's going to get chewed up by Corey. But what ha- what what always makes the striking of Frankie better is his ability to weave in takedowns or at least establish some kind of a takedown threat. If he can do that, now Grant's a three-round fight, not a five, so that changes the equation a little bit too. But if he can do that, it might be a little bit even because that is a takedown of... Your takedown defense being 27%, again, it's a little bit misleading um, because it's probably, it should be a little bit higher, but you get the idea. It's not his strongest asset, and takedowns are Frankie's bread and butter. And they not only does he have good control on the ground as a good wrestler, folk-style wrestler in BJJ Black Belt, he can guard pass, uh, and it sets up all of his strikes as well. So that, to me, is actually a little bit of an interesting battle. Now, can he do it? I don't know. We'll see. But everyone's like, "Oh, Frankie's got no chance." Mm, I agree. Going up against Corey Sandhagen—that is a quite literally, to your point, a tall order. But uh, he's a ta- Frankie is nobody's pushover. Nobody's pushover. Does anyone have an idea or know anything about when Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov will fight? Um, didn't Habib tell somebody in Uzbekistan uh, they're looking at Brooklyn in April? So. Thoughts on Askren's retirement, even though it didn't pan out as successfully at all. uh, I believe that he had one of the most important three-fight careers in MMA history. That's a weird question. Okay, well, how many fighters had a three-fight career? Right? (laughs) You're acting like a three-fight career is like a standard thing. And uh, we can measure him against all these other greats that had three-fight careers, like... uh, I think you mean in the UFC, maybe? Um, no, it was not a successful run. And I'll be I'll, you know, I'll be the first to cop to the fact that I thought it would be much more successful. Um, you know, misjudged, misjudged. Thought it would be more, you know, again, it's, it's crazy, like the the Robbie Lawler fight we've been over it a million times. You know, the fight with Jorge Masvidal, who knows how it would have gone if he had never taken that knee. I thought that was actually a fair point that never got really established. And instead he ended up just meaned and on highlight reels for the end to the end of eternity and in the record books it's going to take a long time for someone to break that record and uh i think and then you know against mean Maya it was just too little too late right um i've said before i mean i don't know what to say about it like i saw a lot of mma media well wishing him um which i did not do i mean i didn't you know i don't send any hate either i, I Look, in the end, what you should really value more than everything is, yes, we always want to praise the high achievers, and in terms of the UFC, Askren was not a high achiever. In terms of college, he was a ridiculously high achiever. Um, Didn't win any medals in the Olympics, but you know, how many Olympians do you know, right? So as a wrestler, extremely high achiever, and you know, Dan Hodge, trophy winner, the whole bit. Um as an MMA fighter, I would say he was a high achiever in general, right? Because he had his nice Bellator run. The one run was just fine for his pocketbook and and um, some other stuff. And he, you know, I think he said he had a good time doing it. The UFC run was a, you know, it was a, it was a failure in in the sense of being a high achiever. However, the thing that I would say is um, what I really value in in people is just the attempt, man. Just the attempt. Just the willingness to get out there and do it. Because risking failure is difficult, and you know it appears he probably had a hip issue the whole time. I mean, thirty-five years old and you're getting a hip replacement like that must be a that must be a lot of damage. That must be a lot of damage he was working with. So that couldn't have been easy to be iced out of the UFC during your prime to have already retired and then come back. You know, you just didn't get the best of him, and maybe the best of him still wouldn't have been good enough. I don't know, but you, he didn't. I said this before. He just never got the proper development over time to know if he was going to wash out early or make enough changes early on to become something more later like he was never put in a position either in his Bellator run or his one run where he was forced to adapt beyond who he was you know if you look at the first three fights of Justin Gaethje's career he in UFC he went one and two the difference was he was still in his 20s and he adapted and changed his style right he made a big big adaptation and it was just too little too late for, for Ben coming out of retirement already and stuff like that like it just wasn't you know it, he just couldn't maximize the opportunity but i will give him tremendous amount of credit um for just for just trying man for just trying and that sounds like like i'm giving him a participate or a participation trophy but I'm not I'm, I'm 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 honoring you know the competitor in him who tried to wring the sponge dry like one of the things i've always said about Kenny Florian people always like oh Kenny Florian never won a title man Kenny Florian did more to get more out of himself and pushed himself I mean talk about you want to talk about a guy who pushed himself Kenny Florian did all that man and he got way further than he would have if he had had even a slightly less uh positive attitude and determinative attitude and I have tremendous amount of respect for that yo Ben Askren went to the UFC with a fucked up hip took a fight from Robbie Lawler however controversial um didn't go so well against Jorge Masvidal I ended up on a highlight reel. And then, you know, it was too little too late against Demi and Maya. But he, he, he didn't fight suckers once. He didn't fight chumps in the UFC. He did not fight chumps once. He took a tough fight every single time. Every single time he took on a challenger. And win or lose, uh, and doing that messed up, that, that to me is sort of what matters, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to say when my, when my career is over, did I give it everything I had? Um, And in terms of technical adaptation, no, I don't think he did. But in terms of a willingness to to accept a challenge, even under less than ideal circumstances, even after having his career messed up, um, he did. The one thing I would say, though, is I had him in studio years ago. I'm not spoken to him in some time, but um, I had him on my show. Sorry. Yes, I had him on my radio show years ago. I had him and John Fitch in studio, and he was a big proponent at the time of the MMAFA. And, um, which they don't want to establish a union, but they want to get the Ali act passed to treat MMA a little bit more like boxing, where people have a little bit more leverage over the promoter. Uh, I wonder what happened with that. I'd be curious to know. All right, Luke thoughts on our, excuse me. What are your tips on uh, deep frying a Turkey for Thanksgiving? Well, here's my tips. Don't do it unless you're really, okay. Here's the good news. Well, I'm not so sure baking a Turkey is all that different. Number one don't bake a turkey. Everyone's like, oh, my grandma bakes a turkey. That's awesome. Your grandma makes bullshit turkey. I, I didn't know how bad other people ate until I started dating around and I had to go to uh, all these girls' uh, Thanksgivings. And I was like, wow, most of you <laughs> most of you donks eat eat like raccoons out of the garbage. What are y'all doing? Oh, look at look at Ma's green bean casserole. And I'd be just like finding the nearest trash. I'd be like, you know, dónde está la basura? Um, I've uh, mo- most people eat garbage and they don't realize they eat garbage because they've never eaten anything but garbage. But having 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 visited many of your homes, y'all eat like y'all are like Oscar the Grouch. I <laughs> love trash, and I know this is very on brand where I'm insulting everybody and and everyone's getting all bitter about it. But you have to believe me, most of my Thanksgiving experiences. At other people's homes have been absolutely disastrous. You know, people just cannot cook for shit. Um, And baking a turkey can be done, obviously. But it's very, very difficult to do. Right? Even a skilled cook can easily fuck that up. And, like, I have an old oven. If you tried to do it in my oven, it wouldn't work. My brother has, like, a brand new oven. It's got the kind with, like, the dual ovens and shit. It works better in his, for example. So, you know, there's a lot of different factors at play. Are you going to get a heritage turkey versus not a heritage turkey? The heritage turkey is very expensive. But it comes out better, but it's also more work. So what I would say is about frying the turkey, it's a lot of work up front and then very little work day of. I don't have the recipe in front of me, but what it required before was, uh, I think, a day or two in advance. You You had to just salt the whole thing inside the skin, outside the skin. You had to put herbs, spices, again, salts, peppers, the whole bit. You had to let it just sit there covered. In your fridge again. I can't remember how long it was in in, in front. Maybe twenty four hours. Maybe forty eight. Then day of, you just got to get the 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 things for steroids and the the, the what you call it. The, what's the gif? The um, Stephen Colbert gif where he's got the steroid needles, and you have to inject butter all in that thing. And this is the thing about turkey. It's like, dude, if your bird is so shitty, and all of them are like this, that you got to put that you got to put. You just got to drive butter into it. It's, maybe it's not that good. Like a steak. You know what a steak needs? salt, pepper, and oil. That's it. You don't need shit all else. Tastes amazing. Yes, you can put butter on it, and it's amazing, but you don't need it. Turkey sucks. Okay, point being, so then you have to, like, there's different ways you have to inject into the breast, to the thigh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Obviously, you cannot put stuffing in it, because you're going to put it in the fryer. You have to have a fryer. Obviously, do not do it in your house. Don't do it on your fucking deck. Do it in the yard, which is what I did, and I had one of those, um, I had one of those super tall, like, uh, metal uh, pots, big enough for the bird to sit in. And remember, it's going to... Here's another thing. It's like, um, who was it? Was it Archimedes who discovered the the, uh, property of displacement and then yelled Eureka when he got into the bathtub and all the water spilled out? I can't remember if it was Archimedes or somebody else. But remember, as you put the turkey in, you're going to displace all of the... We used peanut oil. All the peanut oil is going to come out. So you have to have... Uh, enough of a space to hold the bird and all the oil in there. You have to have the mechanism. You can't just stick your fucking hand in there because that shit's gonna come back. It's gonna come back looking like uh, the Hulk's arm after he tried the Infinity Gauntlet. And um, you have to have a thing to pull it out. Anyway, so once you've salted it, and then you uh, you have a system outside where I had um I had a uh, one of those like metal like um, not grill exactly, but it allows a flame to go through, and you put the pot on top. I'm in the middle of my yard. I put sand all the way around my thing. Yeah, because I, I went to Home Depot and bought some sand. And then you lower the bird in there, and then you cover the pot, and then you have to wait. Till, you, have to, you have to keep it a certain temperature. Uh, but it only takes about 20 minutes. It takes about 20 minutes. You pull the bird out, you put it on the thing. Uh, obviously, you want to let the meat rest for just a little bit. And then when we cut that thing open. ooh, Buddy, I'll never have any other kind of turkey, which which you might be asking, what are you guys doing for turkey for this Thanksgiving? So this Thanksgiving, we're doing something where we take, we buy turkey breasts, peel them off the bone, and then we slow cook them for about 24 hours, then shred them, and then make them with a rice dish, almost like a stew. We call it sudado. Uh, it is... Oh, I mean, it is... But we're not sticking some bird in the oven and then pulling it out and it's all dry. And then you got to pour like you know, a gallon of gravy on it. Everyone's like, this is really good, ma." Pass the green jello and cigarette butts. I'm not, I'm not doing none of that shit, okay? And I know, here, every time I say this, everyone's like, yo, my family makes good turkey, good turkey with in the oven. They don't, <laughs> they don't. You know who does? Like Bobby Flay does. Bobby Flay can like make it work, or Iron Chef Morimoto, or Chef Garces, all those donks on the show who are, you know, who are out there, Iron, Iron, Iron chefing it out. Yeah, I, I believe Bobby Flake could probably make it work, but, you know. Donk Donkerson down the street? mm Y'all are making mediocre bird. Luke, I've always wondered why you've never moved to New York. You know, I was pondering that the other day. I certainly understand loving your hometown, but it seems like there are more career opportunities for you there, especially considering that at one point you were killing yourself to commute back and forth. Thanks for the content and keep up the good work. Man, my health was so bad. That year, I did the MMA and the MMA beat. My health was so fucked up. I didn't want to get into like all the things that came back on my health report, my physical. Oh, my God. Um, I thought about that the other day. I was like, what am I doing, dude? What am I doing? Well, a couple of things. Um, when the, I used to live in New York. I lived there for about three years. And when I lived there, I was broke. Broke. So I remember I was so broke one time. It's a pathetic story, but it's true. I was so poor. I had, I was, I mean, your boy was eating Top Ramen like I was at Rikers. I was so poor, okay? I'd go, I mean, there was nights I would just go hungry. I had no food, no money, no nothing. I was living in terrible places. Um, God, I I remember one time I had this, this apartment down by the, by a literal boiler room. You could hear that thing go and rattle throughout the course of the night. Uh. Tried to bring a girl back there one time. Didn't go all that great. In any event, um, I remember one time I had this job interview. I actually got the job, but I remember I had uh, not enough money to get home on the on the on the on the subway, and I was way uptown. I was on like 79th and Third, and I at the time I was staying on my friend's couch on 21st, and you uh, know I had suit clothes on. I did have a suit. Uh, I think it was like a gift from college. And uh, I had no money to get home. I had food at home, but I had no money to get home. So uh, I remember, I was like, it was like raining, and I had no umbrella. I was like, oh, I had no money to buy an umbrella. So I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna walk home in the rain. So I would walk to um, payphones. They were still around payphones at the time, and I would see if anybody had left. I was, I was, because I was only like forty-five cents short. I was gonna see if anybody had money who they had left in the payphone. To see if they had a, to see if I could just, you know, get enough to not walk in the rain. Sure enough, no. I just walked 60 blocks basically in soaking wet weather. And um, that was a terrible day, man. So after days like that, I always told myself if I ever move back to New York, because I do love New York, I would never go back poor. I just, New York is a hard place to be poor, man. Not just because things are expensive, but because, like, the best of everything is in New York. Like, Think of, any, think of just about anything you like. Probably a very high-level version of that exists in New York, whether you're into hobbies like gaming or skateboarding or, I don't know, jujitsu. I mean, there's Marcello's, there's Henzo's, there's Shaolin's. I mean, there's a million places to go train there, and they're all exo- like the best of everything is there. But if you don't have any money, it's a hard place to live. And I was, f- I mean, broke. So when I eventually moved to DC and I slowly got myself into a position where I have some money, I could move back now and I could be comfortable. I really could, but now I've got a wife and a kid, which okay, no big deal in the sense of moving. But I got two dogs, I got a cat. Um, you know, you got to remember, my wife came from Columbia here, but so did her mother and so did her brother. So if we left, then she'd be alone, and they have they're very tightly knit unless they wanted to come with us, which I don't know that they do. It's like we just got a lot of things going on. So I don't know what to do. But I thought the other day I was like, what am I doing? I mean, every time I get up at like 4 a.m., you know, on these on these Mondays, I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, because the thing is by the time I do my radio show on Mondays, people don't understand this. It's like I'm not I'm not putting shingles on a roof, man. I, I, it's not the hardest labor in that sense. But to do a quality job, on the radio you have to do adequate prep and to do adequate prep you have to spend time doing it and I have to spend a lot of my time getting ready for dissected like dissected could be a lot better if that was the only thing I did but I only I, I edit that on the train ride up um morning combat it could it, as good as it I think it is it could be even better if I didn't have to worry about all those other things it's like you know the the minute oil gets burned so thin by virtue of just being so far apart um I don't know I don't know I just I don't know uh, all right I you know no one I'd never ask for donations on these particular shows but since people seem to leave them at some point uh, I will ha- I will happily answer them so let's do this one oops I can't see all right well there's one above I can't see what are the chances all titles change hands at 245, like 217? That would be... For Duran to me to win, that would be... A... Not saying it's not possible, but seems unlikely. So that would be a... I would say chances are small. Does watching live help more than watching the replay? Just curious as to what the best way to consume for you is. Prefer live, number one. Secondly, than just watching on YouTube. And then third, um, listening to the uh podcast for all those who've been watching you can you please tell us the fight diaz was offered way back when all the best from ireland nope someone says you are the best journalist in mma keep doing you i don't really think i'm a journalist but i appreciate your support just the same status of ufc 246 on january 18th i have not kept up with it do you think woodley is a harder matchup for colby than usman stylistically yes because he can exchange with him on the feet. The other problem, though, is that I think Woodley would gas a lot quicker. So it's like a give and take. On one level, yes. On another level, no. So do you think John Jones could compete at middleweight? No chance. No. I mean, not, not effectively. Not effectively. I'm curious. Why do you film Morning Combat Live? The inability to post-edit can make the content feel rushed at points. F the people in your ear. That was the original pitch. The whole idea was to do it live, um, to get it out there, to be first. Um, yeah, we've thought about doing it recorded. Maybe someday we might, but I, I don't know. I like it that it's out there and that there's you know, you got to tap dance on air, man. There's no there's no way to walk it back. If Aldo can make 135, John Jones can make 185. No, that's a ridiculous statement. Uh, where does Bendo rank? Amongst Lightweight Goats. Um, Fairly low in the sense of goats, right? Like the best lightweights of all time. He would be maybe top 10. So you're the opposite of Eddie Bravo, I guess. Uh, Twilight of the Elites is a good book on meritocracy. I have read it. It's uh, by uh, Chris Hayes. Um, yeah, it's excellent. Love you, bro. But you are totally b- brainwashed by the government narrative being parroted by the media. You clearly have done zero research into <laughs> Steve. Okay. Uh, Khabib versus Shab. Who wins? Ooh. Well, since Shab is so rusty, I would actually say Khabib. But if Sh- if Shab was actually like com- you know competing, might be might be a little too big. I don't know though. Pretty big. Did you go to journalism school, or were you self-taught? Definitely self-taught, which says it's ups and downs. Luke, in your estimate, how many fighters would have way more remarkable careers if UFC utilized tune-up fights way more often? What a great question. Wow, what a great question. Um... Hmm, man, that is interesting. Gosh, that's that's hard to know. That's really hard to know. My guess is it would make a substantial difference. It might make a substantial difference in how much you like the UFC product, too. You know what? That is such a great question. How many fires would have way more remarkable? I would say bare minimum double-digit, probably triple. Um... No, double digit, double digit. But yeah, like if guys coming off of injury got to come back against some stiff, and then figured out, dude, I think it'd be a, I think it'd be a radical game changer. Mm-hmm. Again, for better, for worse. But how many more people would like if Cain Velasquez is to come back against somebody eminently beatable, and not Francis Ngannou? How different would the conversation be at heavyweight today? Now maybe he would have to gone up against Stipe right away, and then Stipe would have beaten him, and then all this is for naught. Okay, fine. But you would have thought, like, Cain Velasquez was ready to have a third act and blah, 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 blah. And you just didn't get any of that. Or what about Luke Rockhold? I mean, you could say, oh, Jan Blachowicz was a a tune-up fight. No, it wasn't. Like a real tune-up. Even Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman had to go up against Dom Reyes. Dom Reyes is about to fight for a title. You know? Uh, you, You just wonder. You really wonder. These are just three recent examples. You could go back years on this kind of stuff. Uh, crazy. I mean, it would be an absolute radical game changer, for better or for worse. It certainly would be. We can go a little bit longer today, I think. Um, Luke, do you think the window of fighters peaking has gotten shorter post-Usada, or is the game just evolving at such a fast pace that's harder to stay on top nowadays? Yeah, that's a difficult one to disentangle, right? Because, again... Okay, let me back up a step. Let's assume for a second that everyone agrees that USADA is having an effect on shortening careers at the end of someone's run um, by virtue of not being able to take something for longevity's sake, right? Uh, That could play absolutely a role. The other part is that guys are starting a little bit younger. You know, I I wonder if the UFC has data on, um, because remember, guys are getting... And ladies, they're getting comprehensive training much earlier in their development. Now, they can't go pro until they're 18. But you have to wonder, I would love for the UFC to note, um, how young were you when you took your first fight, amateur or pro? Uh, how young were you when you first began to train, right? Um, and then I want—I wonder if there is any evidence to suggest that everyone's gotten a little bit younger doing it, right? Uh, or There's been a general trend towards youth in that regard. So, that, so thats that could be part of it as well. Uh, and again, if you get into the sport earlier, you're going to get out of it earlier. Like you're going to have this just a fixed amount of time where you can be competitive and take and take injuries. So, so to me, it's like it's hard to disentangle one from the other. But suffice to say, um, yeah, it could play. It absolutely could play a role. Mm-hmm. You always advocate for the UFC to reduce the number of events, but if they did that, you'd have a lot less to talk about in your three shows. There are no UFC shows for the next two Saturdays which means morning combat in this channel will be dead. Do you have a change of heart on how many, having many events? I, for one, would love more UFC events, maybe 50 a year, but with great headliners. Well, you can't get 50 a year with great headliners. I mean, here's the funny part about this. You act like UFC Moscow and UFC Sao Paulo did a bunch for my shows. This is not a joke. So I do, let's see, I do, um, I do 12 segments a day on my radio show. 12 a day. I do 4, 8, 12. So I do, let's see, 12, 24, 36, 48, 60. I do 60 segments a week on my radio show. 60, okay? How many did I do last week on UFC Sao Paulo of the 60 I do a week? Two. Main event preview on Friday, predictions on Friday. That's it. It's not like it's some radical game changer for me. And remember, my radio show is the Luke Thomas show. It is not the Luke Thomas MMA show. Today we're going to talk about uh, many things, including Floyd, but we're also going to get to the Cybertruck from Tesla, right? And sort of what we all think about that. It's I had I had I just posted on my show on my channel yesterday. I just posted about um, with Lane Norton talking about the Game Changers documentary. Like my show is fine. I, I'm happy to like take a break from MMA. Now it's true that what has happened over the years is that as the UFC just scaled up the number of events, we had to, on MMA websites, scale up the staffing. On my radio show, we had to scale up the number of shows. And so now that they're off, that model doesn't work as well when there's less shows happening. That part is kind of true to an extent. So yes, now that we've taken the pill, so to speak, to work our schedule in lockstep with their schedule, there's a little bit of a challenge with this kind of a thing. But it's not like if they had UFC fucking Topeka, oh my life is saved! Hey everybody, happy times are here again. That's not how this works. It would be it would do almost nothing for me. So not really. Morning combat. I think we'll probably talk a lot about Floyd. Um, uh, We're going to talk about obviously we we cover boxing as well. So we're going to talk about Wilder Ortiz too, and then the fallout from there. So we're fine. We're good. Like what what you want is not just events. What I want is events. I want a big show, right, where I can really sink my teeth into it. And there's only an X amount of elite fighters in the world. You can't manuf- You can't have 50 cards with 50 great headliners. Not in the way that they do business, you can't. How do you take advantage of infrequent lulls in MMA? What do you like to do when you're not having to be so tied to the fights and news stories? Um... Going to go to Philly this weekend with the wife. Going to go to a Cannibal Corpse concert. I'll make sure there's no, like, information on here I'm giving away. Going to see Cannibal Corpse this weekend. Um, yeah, going to go have fun. There's uh, a lot of things to do besides watching fights. All right, let me go to one or two more. USADA started doing testing for the UFC on July 1st, 2015. Prior to this, Chris Weidman was undefeated 13-0. After this date, he's 1-5. I keep hearing this question come up. What happened to Chris Weidman? I haven't heard one person propose an idea that he was using performance-dancing drugs. Is this because he thanks God and comes out wearing the American flag around his shoulders? Or am I missing something? Uh, you might be missing something. He took, a, he took an, a, I think, a career-altering beating uh, against um, Luke Rockhold, I think is what happened. And I don't think he ever really was the same after that. We, we see this in boxing pretty frequently. Guys will take a beating long past the point that is advisable, and they don't ever really come out the same. I remember when uh, David Loazzo took a beating against Rich Franklin. He was never the same after that. So, uh, yeah, that would be my answer. I mean, look, is you a possibility? Sure, but uh, without any real evidence of, of malfeasance, I don't you know, it just seems a little bit unfair to, to introduce that as a possibility. Plus there wasn't a massive physique change. Uh, Luke, it seems some people want to hear your thoughts on politics, economics, and philosophy. Do they? Would you ever consider branching out past MMA on YouTube? It's what I'm doing right now. Or is this where you see yourself for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I mean, for, for the foreseeable future, for sure. Like I said, guys, you got questions beyond ask. Someone says, hey, Luke, you've been talking about books a lot lately. Wanted to get your thoughts on the autobiography of Malcolm X. It's my favorite book of all time. Alex Haley's forward could be its own classic. Big fan from London. Thanks for all you do. Uh, I've not read that, so I cannot speak to its value, but um, yeah, there you go. Uh, hey, Luke, before the Andrage Zhang fight, I remember you were interested in finding a reliable source of information about Chinese MMA. One such source exists, Ramsey Dewey, an American former MMA kickboxer fighter who now coaches and referees in Shanghai. He has a wealth of knowledge on MMA in general and the Chinese Sanda scene as well. Plus, his YouTube channel is hilarious. You should reach out to him if you need a perfectly vetted source on such subjects. Duly noted. I will mark that. All right, we'll do... Oh, here we go. Perfect. What is your opinion about Zufa boxing? How will Dana fare as a boxing promoter? The top boxers get paid... Wait, spelled paid wrong. Way more than the top MMA fighters. Is Zufa boxing good for MMA fighters and can it increase their earning potential? Blah, blah, blah. So I've said this about Zufa boxing. I'm as intrigued as everybody else is. They were supposed to make an announcement in October. They didn't. November's just about over. So again, I think they're going to punt to 2020. My hunch is that Floyd might have something to do with it. Hard to say exactly, but he might. Um, I suppose we'll see. Uh, I don't know how they're going to get around the problems of what they... It's illegal to create your own titles in boxing. They have to be separate. Um, so I don't know how they're going to get around the titles having to belong to the sanctioning bodies. I don't know how they're going to get around, get like a Canelo to fight for them if he's making 35 mil a pop on zone. Um, and if they do start paying their guys 35 mil, what will that do to the UFC side of the business? So here's what I'll say. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I am very curious. I am legitimately very curious to see how things go. It's just there's a lot of really big structural questions about the way they've arranged their business to this point and the very different business they're trying to get into and then the natural tension between them. All right, if anyone else paid, I'll get to that real quickly. Prime Nick Diaz with an honest round versus Floyd. I'm not talking a McGregor round, please, y'all. Hi, Luke. Uh, Awesome job getting over 100 k Cheers. Thank you, sir. Follow-up, Luke. With the lack of tune-ups, can this be considered a more pure sport based on merit if we ignore the interim belt shenanigans? Sort of, right? But if you look at like, um, if you look at, you know, world football, okay, the English Premier League has a little bit less of this, but you know, when one team, like, okay, I like Real Madrid, when they play Atletico, that's a tough out, but then they go and play, you know, Espanol, or Sporting Hee Hong, or even Real Sociedad, or Um, you know, these are not very difficult teams. So like when they go to the Champions League, they've had a, they've had this chance to play some tough teams, but they've also had to play a lot chance to play a lot of worse teams where they can work on lineups and make tune-ups and make changes. It's like, that seems to be like a real sport. So I don't know. I don't don't know how real that is. I mean, it's certainly a unrelenting and unforgiving one in the case of MMA. Uh, What is my deadlift on PR? It is sub 600. And why do you think people continue to talk about a fighting Masvidal for the BMF belt when UFC and Masvidal both agreed it was a one-time thing? Because they crystallized it into a belt, into an idea, and then people ran with it. They, they took it way too seriously, and we ended up here. Okay, thank you, donks, for watching. I have to get out of here. Please like the video, subscribe to the channel. There's all kinds of information for Morning Combat in there, for I think there's a merch link in there, although i got to update the merch, but... Um, A lot of stuff is in there. If you want to reach out to me via email, you certainly may, lukethomasnews at gmail.com. Even you conspiracy theory donks that have difficulty evaluating information correctly, even you can write me at lukethomasnews at gmail.com. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy Wilder Ortiz for the folks that are going to be watching. And until next time, stay frosty.